Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. All right, hello and good evening, everybody. It's time for us to begin. It's great to see you. I hope you've had a wonderful Wednesday. If you had a crummy Wednesday, you'll have a great Wednesday night. I can promise you that. This is going to be great. Of course, this is our second installment in a series of lessons that we're doing for our fall series, Things That Truly Matter. And tonight we have, um, he's not hes not really even a visitor. I mean, he's here so often. And that's uh, our friend Tim Orbison. Uh, Tim is related to Roy somehow. Isn't that right? Okay. I heard that someplace. Uh, Tim is a multi-talented person. He can weld. He's a pilot. He rides a motorcycle. He can take out your appendix if you had to or something like that. He's a very talented guy. But the thing I love most about him of all is that he is a great communicator, and he's a great thinker uh, of the Word of God. And so he pours that through his soul, and uh, I've never heard him give a bad lesson. And he's been a friend of Wes Hansel for many, many years. He has done some seminars for us, uh, I know one on pornography that really helped all of our men. It was wonderful, and uh, he's going to be coming back uh, November 4th, 5th, and 6th for our November seminar. And uh, we're looking forward to that, and it's going to be on the subject of growth. So I hope you will come back and be with us at that time. And Libby, where's Libby? Libby's over here. It's great to see Libby. They've been at Maysville for 26, going on 27 years, and they're doing a wonderful work over there. Good evening. Good to see you tonight. I appreciate Paul making the remarks he did. I guess technically everything he said was right. But I need you to know that if I take your appendix out, you may not live over it. It's an honor for me to be here. I love being at the West Huntsville Congregation. Good to see each of you this evening. And it's always a challenge to take on an assigned topic. It's almost certain that those who picked it out had something different in mind than the way I'm going to develop it. I've been on both sides of that in, in orchestrating various programs and things of that sort and assigning information. And um, sometimes th thoughts work differently than, uh, than they were intended when you see them in print. But I hope you'll enjoy our discussion tonight on the topic of willing to yield. I saw a story in the news, it was about a couple of fire trucks in Patterson, New Jersey that ran into each other last Saturday evening as they were headed toward a fire. Any of y'all see that story or see video regarding it? Two big fire trucks, both en route to the fire, hit in, a, uh, in an intersection. What's the, what's the likelihood of that happening? And uh, just crashed into each other. Uh, eight of the firemen were injured. 
uh, one of them seriously. No one was killed. Eventually, they got some, enough folks to uh, put out the fires. Um, and no doubt there were some questions going on immediately. I didn't see any of the news reports, but if you'd lived there, I'm sure everybody was talking about how foolish that is for uh, these guys who are emergency responders to create an emergency. How did it happen? And there have been all kinds of folks talking about what happened, how do we keep it from happening again, et cetera, et cetera. It was a traffic accident. We can explain it, and there's probably doesn't take a whole lot of, of uh, imagination to think that both of those trucks were making an awful lot of noise. Therefore, they couldn't hear each other. They were approaching an intersection, so they couldn't see each other, and... Things happen. There's a four-way stop just a a mile from my house. In fact, it's one of the landmarks. If you talk about Maysville, there are several landmarks you talk about when you you ask people if you you know where Maysville is, and they, they may say, well, maybe not. Do you know where Central School is? Central School's been there a long time. The other one is... You know where the four-way stop is. You know you live in a small town when the four-way stop is something of a landmark. Uh, There is no town to Maysville. There probably was a post office there at one time, but it's long since swallowed up. But four-way stop, you think about that. Is that probably the most totally safe uh, traffic device there is, a four-way stop? Actually, no, it's not. In fact, almost no parts of the world use four-way stops except the United States because of some of the issues that go with it. Pedestrians are much more likely to be hit at a four-way stop than they are at a street with a light on it. There are more rear-end collisions at four-way stops. I'm not sure I understand that one, but maybe it needs to be explained a a little farther. You you pull up to a four-way stop and, you know, if you're the only one there or if it's just you and one other person, it's really no big deal. But, you know, after you've got all four taken up, you've got four cars, look, who goes first? Well, there's, uh, there's protocols in place about how they're supposed to do, but you know, what if somebody jumps and it's not their turn? And so you got four people looking at each other, and sometimes that's the case. You, you, you're looking from left to right to left to right, see if somebody else moves. If nobody else moves, then you do. Willing to yield. Now, a yield sign, that's another story. You pull up to a yield sign, and that means if somebody else is there, It's not your turn. But if nobody else is there, then it's okay for you to go. What does it mean to be willing to yield in real life? Well, we have to deal with the subject of right of way. And I want to read something to you. I pulled off the internet. It says, right of way at a four-way stop. The driver who arrives at a four-way stop first 
has the right-of-way, meaning that they may pass through the intersection first. When two or more vehicles are at the stop and cannot determine which arrived first, the driver furthest to the right has the right-of-way. This is going to give it away when I read the next statement. Right-of-way laws in New Jersey go beyond this. I pulled it off a New Jersey website. Right-of-way laws in New Jersey go beyond this, though. In New Jersey, motorists must yield to the following. Yield. Pedestrians in crosswalks, they have the right-of-way. Traffic in a position that would otherwise cause an accident if the motorist fails to yield. Emergency vehicles sounding their sirens and lights, they have the right-of-way. Buses and postal vehicles re-entering traffic after a stop, they have the right-of-way. Trains moving through crossings, motorized scooters and other motility, excuse me, mobility devices. Although pedestrians are not supposed to jaywalk or cross traffic when the signal tells them to remain on the sidewalk, motorists must yield to pedestrians who are illegally crossing the street. So even though you're not supposed to cross the street, except at the appropriate places, if you do cross the street in the state of New Jersey, if somebody runs over you, they're still in trouble. And here's the last sentence in this little section from the New Jersey driver's handbook, I think. As a general rule, motorists should always yield in situations where failing to yield would cause an accident even when they technically have the right-of-way. Now, that's an interesting statement. It's not biblical. It's just social. That's strictly a, a rule for dealing with life. You yield the right of way when if you didn't, something bad would happen. Even if you've got the right of way. Okay, now with all of that floating in your head, let's load up on some scriptures. You're going to need your Bible. We're going to read. And more reading than I typically do um, in a sermon out. I, I do lots of reading when I'm at home. The well folks have to listen to me read lots of the Bible, but I don't usually do it out much. You're getting close enough to family. I'm going to load you up too. Let's start in 1 Corinthians. Start in chapter 9. We're going to start reading in verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who were under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who were under the law. To those who are without law, as without law. Not being without law toward God, but being but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. 
When Paul talked about his relationship here, he says, I made myself subservient to or to get along with whatever group I was in. So if I was hanging around with Jewish people, I don't want to offend the Jewish people. I acted like a Jewish person. When I was around Gentile people, I didn't want to be offensive to Gentile people, so I acted like the Gentile people. With those people who were didn't have religious background or, or concerns, I, I acted like them. Now, that doesn't mean he did immoral things. Paul said, that not, not that I acted like uh, that I wasn't under the law of Christ. He said, I still had an obligation to the Lord. I was living a moral life. He wasn't being immoral. He wasn't going to the bar and hanging out with the, with the beer drinkers. Willing to yield. Paul was yielding to others. Keep reading. Back a chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now concerning the things offered to idols, 1 Corinthians 8, 1. We know that all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet, as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore concerning the things, excuse me, therefore concerning the eating of things offered to idols. We know that an idol is nothing in the world. And that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on the earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him and the one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with consciousness of the idol until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worst. But beware, verse 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest my brother stumble. Now, you might listen to that and you went, well, Paul's being a hypocrite there. He's talking about doing one thing if somebody's watching and doing another thing if somebody's not. No. He's talking about being willing to yield. He's talking about, you know what your rights are. You understand the way God is. You understand that idol worship is nothing, that idols are nothing. And so you feel free to go to the temple and eat the meat because after all, you're just eating meat. There is no such thing as an idol anyway. But everybody around you may not understand that. There may be some people who grew up in that town and they think idols are something. There may be people who don't 
have the religious knowledge you do, and they may think idols are something. They may have come from different backgrounds as you do, and they think idols are something. And when they see you doing it, even though they think it's wrong, they, think, they see you doing it, they may be caused to go and do it and violate their conscience. So Paul says, you have a responsibility to others and what they see and perceive, even if you know the right thing. Verse 12 is very interesting. We're not going to have time to to dig in and and talk about this here, but look at chapter 8, verse 12. When you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience... You sin against Christ. What? Paul, you said that eating is nothing, not eating is nothing, idols are nothing. How then can I sin against the brethren? Because you've done something that they misinterpret or misunderstand, and you have a responsibility to watch out for them. Okay, while you're scratching your head on that one, Let's add another. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's go the other way. Let's start reading in verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any one of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols. Don't eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I gave thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. How many times have you quoted that verse? Whatever you do. Eat or drink, do all the glory of God without taking the context in which it is found. Now, what's Paul talking about here? Is he, is he back and forth again? Next verse. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Paul says, I've got the right to do lots of things, but I don't do them. Why? Because they might be misunderstood by other people. I've got a right to do certain things, but I may not do them because I don't want to hurt someone else's conscience. He says, you show up at somebody's house and, you know, if you want to go over their house and eat, go eat. If they don't say anything to you, don't ask any questions. Just eat the food that's put out there. But what if someone says, hey, that meat was offered to an idol. 
The only person who would say that is someone who is offended by it. So Paul says, if someone is there with you and they tell you that was idle meat, then they're worried about it. And they're thinking you're not going to eat it because they know it came from a place they don't want anything to do with. Paul says, then you don't do anything about it either. If they're offended by it, then you should abide by their weak conscience. Willing to yield. Now, wait a minute. I showed up at this place, and I'm planning to have my supper, and now you're going to tell me I can't eat the food I've got? Sit in front of me? Willing to yield. Not quite done. One more. Romans chapter 14. Start in verse 3. Romans 14.3. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12, so then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make 
for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. We'll quit our reading there. What would we destroy the work of God for? Nothing. Nothing is important enough for us to destroy the work of God. And so if there's something out there where we feel like we've got a right to it, and there may be a need for you to give up your rights. How hard was this for them? And we've spent, what, 10, 12 minutes reading. How hard was this to live and do what they did? You're going, yeah, that would make a difference. You know, they're talking about eating meat offered to an idol. So what? Nobody would get upset regarding that. That, that just, that doesn't matter. Who cares? How would, uh, how would we do if we were back there? If we were able to go back to the world where Paul lived and wrote these words, how important do you think they were? I saw the video of the two fire trucks as they, as they came into the intersection and, and slammed right into each other. You know, the, the interesting thing about fire trucks, you, you jump on a fire truck, and if you've got any uh, first responders in here, I hope I don't say anything offensive to you. I don't want to demean our firefighters. I appreciate them very much, and our police officers, and EMTs, and all other first responders. But normally when they get in their trucks and they're going somewhere, they pop on their lights and their sirens and they come because they've got a mission and they're important and everybody else is supposed to stay out of the way. They're used to people staying out of their way. They're used to being the ones that say, I go and everybody else watches out for me. What happens when two people, oops, sorry, when two fire trucks, both of which think everybody else ought to get out of my way, run into the same intersection at the same time. Whack. Video at 11. So, and you're going, <clears throat> you know, I don't want to be rude, but we really don't know what you're talking about and why have we spent all this much time reading all these things. Glad you asked. You remember these? Did you skip over last year or the year before? Some of you are still wearing these at work. You go to the hospital, I guarantee you're wearing them. And a variety of places where you go in and visit and things like that. And you know what? I don't care what you think about these. You don't care what I think about these. It really doesn't make any difference. But they sure caused a lot of trouble among folks. I don't know of a single congregation, not one, that was not impacted in some difficult way because of the discussion of... What are we going to do regarding 
regarding masks. And I don't want to rekindle any old fires, and I sure don't want to fight the old fights. The only reason I brought this up is because it's valuable for us to say, okay, we're going to talk about willing to yield. What does it mean to yield? Well, yielding is what I expect other people to do for me. Uh, that's really not what yield, willing to yield means. Willing to yield means I have the right, but I don't demand it. And I will make myself submissive to you in order to keep peace. Isn't that what Paul said in four different chapters that we read a while ago? In 1 Corinthians and the book of Romans? There's a reason why I read them four different times, or all four of those. Because Paul over and over and over again talks about what rights we have, but we make those rights submissive to the needs of others. Most of you know I'm a pilot. If you didn't know that before, Paul told you. I've been flying for many years. I like flying. I like flying airplanes. I don't know how to fly helicopters. I'd probably like that too if I ever got a chance. Any of you own a helicopter or have access to it, please see me after services. Over the years, I have subscribed to many, many airplane magazines. I like everything about airplanes. I like the way they look. I like the way they sound. I like the way they smell. There are a few things that have a better aroma. I'm sorry, my wife, I'm not talking about you. Uh, <clears throat> that live outside other than exhaust fumes from an airplane or a jet wafting over the airport. Now, if, if you don't understand that, I'm sorry, you just don't have it. But that, that's, that is, that's an aphrodisiac to me. That, that's, that's good stuff. In most of the... Uh, most of the magazines that I've gotten over the years, there's usually a section somewhere in the magazine that has reports from the NTSB. Now, the NTSB is a government organization, National Transportation Safety Board, and it's their responsibility to come up with a reason as to why every airplane crash has ever occurred since they've been in business. Now, you have a wreck in, a, in your car, the police may show up and they'll maybe or maybe they will or won't write a ticket, but there will never be a report written up like the NTSB does. They talk about the background of that car, how it was maintained, you, how much sleep you got, what you had to eat that day, whether or not you've been drinking, and ev everything else that you can't even imagine. The NTSB goes into all of that because it is their job and interest to make sure that every airplane crash is understood so that another one doesn't happen like that. And sometimes they are scathingly honest. No holds barred. The pilot was intoxicated. The pilot was sleep deprived. The pilot was in violation of XYZ. The airplane had not been maintained according to, it shouldn't have been in service. Whatever it is, there it is in black and white. This is the cause for the wreck. Okay? Why am I talking about these?
because lots of us crashed in the last couple of years. I saw preachers fired and quit over masks. I saw groups of people get together with other groups of people in churches and not have anything to do with them. I saw folks who got where they wouldn't talk to other people. Some of them were wearing masks and didn't want to talk to the people who wouldn't. Some of them weren't wearing masks and they didn't want to talk to the people who would. Just so happens I ran into Brother Glenn Colley the Sunday morning when all of us were going to have to address this thing publicly for the first time. And I said, what are you going to do? What are you going to say? He told me what he was going to say. And I went, oh boy, that's going to cause some trouble. He said, what are you going to say? And I told him what I was going to say. He went, oh boy, that's going to cause some trouble. You know what? We both preached our sermons. Guess what? Both of our churches, we had trouble. (laughs) Nearly every church did. As we tried to struggle with, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with limited information? How do we deal with fear? How do we deal with personal uh, integrity on certain subjects? How do, how do we deal with things when some people think one way and some people think another way? And, and, and what do we do? What is the safe course? Who is going to yield to whom? If Paul was writing now to churches about what happened last year in regard to all the things that happened regarding COVID, what would, the Lord, what would DePaul have written? Those of you who are wearing masks, don't judge those who are not. Those of you who are not wearing masks, don't judge those who are. Every one of them will stand before God. You don't judge your brother. You don't judge the Lord's servant. You don't. Well, now see, it doesn't bother you a bit that Paul was telling the people who were eating idle meat or not to not judge and not get involved in those kind of things. But if Paul was starting to talk about our business, then... Did you feel like you had rights? And like some people weren't respecting your rights during all of that? A lot of people did. But let's change gears a little bit. Push that aside for a second. Let's go look at another text. Book of Acts, chapter 15, verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. A couple of questions. We don't have time for a discussion of these things that might 
be valuable for it. Who was right? Paul or Barnabas? Who forgave better or more? Paul or Barnabas? Who was willing to yield? Paul or Barnabas? I see when we see this situation in real life and we start asking those kinds of questions, sometimes we're going to run into a discussion and we, we bring up the, the yielding. Uh, we were James chapter 3, verse 17. Wisdom that is from above has a list of things and finally comes to willing to yield. Is willing to yield an absolute? Is it an always? You always yield to others? You always yield to others no matter what the topic or conversation or situation is? You willing to yield in all situations? Because Barnabas didn't yield. And Paul didn't yield. Were they endowed with the Holy Spirit? This means yes. This means no. I heard that bell. Find whoever's doing it and tie them and throw them into a room somewhere. <laughs> James 3.17 doesn't start with that. It says, wisdom that is from above is first pure. Then peaceable and gentle, willing to yield. What if what's involved has a right or wrong thing about it? What if it's, what if it's a matter of, of what's taking place? And we're supposed to go and read Galatians chapter 2 right now, and we're not going to be able to do that. Paul says, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas. I took Titus along with me. We went up and saw the apostles. And I took Titus, and Titus was not made to be circumcised. Well, why was that a problem? Well, because the Jews were wanting all the Gentile Christians to be circumcised. And Paul says regarding that in Galatians chapter 2, to whom we did not yield even for an hour. It's not only something Paul says he didn't do. He says, we didn't even think about it. He wasn't going to yield any room on this matter. Why? Because it was a matter of right and wrong. And he wasn't backing up. And he wasn't giving up. And he wasn't backing down. Let's suppose a group of people decide that they want to, at this church, have a band back here and a dance next Saturday night. Are you going to yield to that? Of course you're not. What if you get a group of folks and they pop up and they say, well, you know, next year we think uh, we want to appoint some women to be elders and maybe, maybe let them preach some too. You're going to yield to that? You're not. You're not even going to think about yielding to that. Why not? Because it's not right. Okay, so the concept of willing to yield, sometimes it has some some understanding of what's right and wrong. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus teaching the crowd there on the, the Sermon on the Mount, the Mount that was there. Pray to God. Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what does that mean? That means we yield to what God wants done. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul's talking about a group of people. They're poor. They want to be a part of the contribution for the saints who are suffering from famine. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 5, Paul says, and they did something different than what we expected. They were in great poverty, but they, and then he describes it, he says, they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to us by the will of God. And that's key. We first give ourselves to the Lord. And then we give ourselves to others. Where does that put us? Somewhere underneath that. Willing to yield. You know, if, if it doesn't cost you anything and it doesn't bother you to give up something, then you haven't. You haven't given up anything. You haven't sacrificed. But when there's, when there's a conflict, when there's something you want to do and yet you don't do it because someone else needs it or wants it or... Remember that last line from the New Jersey guide for, for driving? When do we... When does right-of-way matter? Bottom line, right-of-way means if there's going to be an accident because of what you're doing, you don't have the right to do it, even if normally you would. Make it so that nobody wrecks. And that's where we'll, we'll end. When we had the... One statement from Second Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 8. The writer of Chronicles says, Do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourself to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he sanctified forever. Give yourself to God first. And then when the time comes, you'll be able to give yourself to the other situations that occur. And uh, hang on to these. Put one up on your refrigerator. Just as a reminder, things can happen in the real world that may test our mettle to be able to get along with other people. And when we do, it may take all we've got to be able to keep peace. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 
35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.